You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll be here bringing you some post-draft content. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy at Blake Murphy 7 We're uh, finished with the NFL draft, and uh, as my introduce my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable John. What were uh, what was your experience with the draft? It's a long, long three days, but it was a fun and uh, definitely a lot more focus. It felt like this year on the draft as a whole. Yeah, I think I can I speak for a lot of folks that it was just a, it was a welcome distraction, uh, and now that you know we're back into. Uh, reality, it's it's difficult because you look at you know, not a ton on the uh, sports docket, if in anything. And I think what the NFL draft gave us was, you know, over the course of three days, and I get it, there was a lot of COVID um, talk that I think was important to have over the course of the three days that was woven into the broadcast. But, it, you know, when they're talking about, you know, being optimistic about players in, in, in relation to being optimistic about the season happening, just a good feeling to have, and it, it doesn't hurt that the Cardinals, by by many accounts, had one of the better draft days or draft weekends, I should say, of any team. Um, and goodness, after the first two days, Blake, you know, whatever we got on day three, I think you and I would have been happy regardless, because we were at the point where we were ready to ship off picks from Saturday to Friday to secure Josh Jones, and of course. Steve Kime didn't have to do that, and so he got to keep his two fourth-round picks, and I guess that's where we'll start, Blake, with those two new additions along the defensive line. Yeah, the Cardinals, they kept their picks. They came in with the eighth pick in the fourth round. They take Lecky Fotu out of Utah, and this is a prospect that we'd talked about for a while, John, specifically because the fact that he was a unique athlete. He's 330 pounds, and even though you take a first-hand look at some of these uh, combine totals, the fact that he's a guy who gets a great get-off up front, who's uh, essentially able to man their line, and as some other people have noted in their reports, part of the reason why a lot of those defensive backs at Utah were going so high in the draft is because he and Bradley and I were manning things pretty much up front to be able to get enough pressure on the quarterback so that they could look for some great opportunities. So he has a first team all pack 12. When you're talking about a guy who's at that frame at 6'5", 330, a former rugby player, which, you know, when, when you get a rugby player in the NFL, like usually those are always cases of being able to have a certain level of power, strength, athleticism. It translates very well. Um, the biggest thing about him, at least, is he's a run stuffer, not a pass rusher. What I think I like about this, John, is we talked a lot, like a lot about the question of Derek Brown. And do you take a guy who has upside in the pass rush game, but is primarily a run stuffer and kind of bet that he's going to develop into an upfield penetrator, kind of like the Aaron Donald types of the world? Or do you just try to say, you know what, that's a little bit too rich to spend in the first round? I love the approach that the Cardinals did by still addressing the run defense that they had last year, being able to kind of hedge behind Corey Peters as he's entering, I believe, the last year of his deal. And also be able to say, hey, why take a Derek Brown in the first when you can, you know, get a guy who will be able to present a lot of the things he does up front as far as being able to uh, make a lot of those tackles in the fourth round. I think that this is probably one of my favorite picks on day three because of that. John, what, what were some of your thoughts on Foto? 
Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. Listen, the Cardinals had interest in Fotu uh, dating back to before the combine, after the combine. We know they met with him. I'm not sure if they were able to sneak in um, a visit or a workout, but they had been in talks with him in early March. And this was one of the players, Blake, that you and I had flagged as a potential option uh, in our previous podcast uh, early on day, day three. I know a lot of folks thought he could have gone as early as the third round. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, this defensive line class was not one to write home about. This was not one where we saw a plethora of defensive linemen go on day two. I think really like you just mentioned it. It was the aforementioned Derek Brown and then um, to a lesser extent Kinlaw, who we feel like has the bigger upside as a pass rusher, of course, going to San Francisco at pick 14. But, yeah, I mean, you could almost say that Fotu is a, is a poor man's Derek Brown. Derek Brown. He plays in a lesser conference. But he is just that tank against the run game. And then in an odd man front, you feel like he's got an opportunity to really excel. But in passing downs, he's probably pretty limited at this point. I know majority of the scouts that we lean on online feel like maybe he's a rotational player, you're one, and has a chance to develop into a solid starter. Um, But at the end of the day, the Cardinals had trouble stopping the run on first and second down last year. I, I use a lot of the games early in the early on in the season, whether it's this first Seattle game or the Cincinnati game, the Carolina game, where it, they couldn't get to third down. Um, the Cardinal third down defense was was pretty pitiful in its own right, but the first and second down, I think teams were averaging almost five yards a carry on this on this defense. Um, so he's going to be able to come in and, and make um, an impact. Um, and if he all, if all he becomes is a developmental defensive lineman with an opportunity to start at some point, that's still a good fit. Um, but, you know, Blake, we've talked about the, the, the shortcomings on this defensive line and being able to try to manufacture pressure. Being able to find Jordan Phillips in free agency, you saw that they made that a priority early on because there are so few defensive linemen right now in the NFL who are disruptors on third down. And, you know, we're, we have our fingers crossed that Phillips entering really the prime of his career, getting that nice contract as you're coming off 10 sacks with Buffalo can keep that going. And the Cardinals don't need that from Phillips. They need somewhere in the, the vicinity of seven to eight sacks. And then you fill in the rest of the defensive line with guys like Fotu. And then you hope that Devin Kennard gives you pressure off the edge opposite Chandler Jones and of course your first round pick Isaiah Simmons I think we both feel like has double digit sack potential so not everybody can be a standout in pass pass rushing the quarterback but um, as far as power as far as tackling I mean he's somebody who's able to shed blots he can take up double teams to, f- to free up Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons um, and Devondre Campbell so there's a there's a place on him on this team and listen if he if he develops into a somewhat of a pass rush um, game. It's one of the better picks of this draft. I mean, he's certainly doesn't have any shortcomings in terms of size. He's 6'5", I want to say 330, 340, played in a really high-end conference, played on Utah team that's consistently competing for Pac-12 championships. Um, and so we know that they like to, to, to draft out of this conference, specifically in the Pac Northwest with all the players that they've keyed on from, from Washington. So again, the, the, this pick had the writing on the wall. I think that a lot of Cardinal fans maybe had focused in on running back or if they were going to take advantage of this receiver class. You and I kind of felt all along that this maybe needed to be a meat and potatoes draft, or at least I did. Um, and again, the, the the lack of quality options on the defensive line toward the end of last year, go look at that Rams game in week 17. 
they were they were trotting out no names. They were trotting out players that were practice level guy, practice squad level guys, and and then Corey Peters. Now you've got with the with the player we're going to talk about here in a minute, foe to Jordan Phillips, Zach Allen, Corey Peters, who by the way is going into the last year of his deal. Does foe to then become an option to replace him? I mean, there's just you got to be able to flood that position group with with mid tier guys, free agents, and then find what sticks. Not everybody's going to be. You know, those DeForest Buckners, those guys going in the early portion of the first round. Um, the kid from Philadelphia whose name escapes me. I mean, th- those are those are few and far between. But you fill out the meat of your roster. This is kind of where Rodney Gunter was picked. Um, and so you, you want to be able to, to develop these guys. I thought it was a, a fine pick. I'm not, it's not one that I'm super excited about, but it, it made sense in the sense that, you know, they, they had interest early on and they followed through with it, Blake some perspective and this is what makes it kind of fun Derek Brown weighing in at uh, six foot four 326 pounds ran a 5.16 40-yard dash lucky foe two weighing in at 330 pounds 5.15 40-yard dash ran faster than Derek Brown did now obviously the 40 isn't everything but when you're talking about an athlete for his size that is pretty rare Benito Jones is another player who weighed at 316 pounds he ran a 527 getting guys who are that big who are able to have that up that burst, that explosion. Uh, that's where in a lot of different ways you got to see that bull rush where sometimes it just pushed guys right back into the quarterback. And the fact that he, from the rugby skills, is able to at least sink down a bit, be able to anchor. He's a guy who's going to be able to take up potentially multiple blockers. Uh, if you're going to be talking about you know, your nose tackle, guys who are two on him, he's big enough that you'll be able to hopefully kind of block him into two guys, free up perhaps a blitz from up the middle if that's going to be the case with a Hicks or uh, with the Cardinals' newest weapon in Simmons, or be able to get a one-on-one on the outside with and perhaps an even you know spin move from Chandler Jones it's just one of those moves that your roster needs and I think at the fourth round it's and not to say that it's like a great value compared to other Cardinals draft picks but for what's needed for Vance Joseph's scheme in a lot of ways is he kind of runs a four a four three in some ways as far as bringing pressure a lot of times with four with five guys he doesn't necessarily blitz a lot when he did blitz last year he got to see the cardinals get burned quite a bit so your hope is that you're able to with a guy like foe to get pressure uh, another guy that they're hoping to add to that as well would be richard lawrence out of um lsu he was on the championship team this last year was a permanent captain on that team as well um that's always something that you look for and that's something that the cardinals i think when you're talking about scouting terms uh, team captains are very often the guys who do end up getting picked uh, often and early by NFL teams because it's indicative not just of their play um, but also of their personality and it shows a lot of the grit and determination that you know you're voted the captain by your peers it's one of the highest honors that you can get you know not just in places like the military or in a workplace uh, or for those of you younger listeners for perhaps even a student council uh, but especially in football and the fact that he was like that is a spot where a lot of people are encouraging he's much more of a and if you're talking about an anchor big solid against the run this is much more of your get up field get after the quarterback think a little bit more of like what Robert Kandici's role was going to be under um, Steve Wilkes and part of where Rodney Gunter had his best season uh, essentially you're going to be kind of as a three technique splitting up the middle trying to get between those guys get after the quarterback or after the running back and making a tackle for loss uh, this is an interesting pick John because I don't think a lot of people expected the Cardinals to double dip at uh, the defensive line position but when you're talking about like you said how they ended last year toward is this year now they actually have young guys 
with a chip on their shoulder. They have depth where they'll be able to rotate guys in and out. And I thought that this is a good pick. I don't know if it has the same amount of upside. Uh, like Odds are going to be that of the two guys who get drafted in each round, usually one of them just doesn't work out as well. I think back to that 2014 draft where everyone was raving about the Cardinals picking Kareem Martin, who some people had given, you know, second round hype to in the third round. And then they take this little guy out of Pittsburgh state named John Brown. I was like, Oh, who's that guy? I guess he's, he's probably going to be the guy of those two who bust. And, Turned out to be exactly the uh, opposite. We're not to say Martin busted necessarily, but he didn't reach the heights that John Brown did or the impact on his time with the team. Uh, what were your thoughts on Lawrence out of LSU, and what do you think of the pick overall, John? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm higher on this pick than the than Fotu just because of the pedigree of Lawrence, the university he attended the quality of play that he went up against, and then just his track record. I mean, he was the defensive player of the game in the Fiesta Bowl two years ago as a junior. His junior season is really the one you want to keen in on um, because he did miss time this past year with an ankle injury uh, in route to that national championship. But as a junior, 10.5 tackles for loss, 4.5 sacks. He's able to break up the pass fairly well. Uh, and again, had that defensive player of the game with two sacks against Central Florida, um, against a really good Central Florida team two years ago, and kind of kick-started the year defensively that they had for LSU. But I think he's got more upside as a pass rusher, um, and I think that's why, obviously, I like him more. He's not as stout against the run as Fotu. But, man, like everything that we read about him, willing to play hurt um made plays on from sideline to sideline of course the high football character is what kime looks for um he's got tons of upside in terms of being able to shed blocks um specifically in the run game now uh, they they knock him for body control not being ideal of course, he's got his injury background from this past season, although that I, I think that was just specific to this one year. And again, you're playing defensive tackle in the SEC for four years. You're going to get banged up. But I think, you know, you go into um, your, your NFL career and you're just the expectations are you're going to be a rotational player early on if you flash great but just come in learn the game learn from the pros in front of you and I think he's really got a chance to stick um and and so I I prefer this this pick to Fotu and I'm with you Blake I think that but you know Kime and and Kingsbury will say you know anything and everything um you know bright and sunny within the media uh, about every draft pick but I think behind closed doors if, if you told then one of these two players was going to pan out and become a solid starter for them, they would take that. And the other just kind of be a rotational guy or potentially flame out. That's what you're doing on day three. Your day three picks are even fourth round picks or lottery tickets because nobody really knows. Nobody knows with any of these players, but you have a better sense with the early guys, um, you know, in the earlier rounds. I think this was the perfect place to double dip for defensive line because I really saw after the fourth round, you saw a big drop off. We saw... Um, the Lynch kid that we really liked that went a pick above them that we think Baltimore jumped up ahead of I think it was Baltimore that jumped up ahead of them. Was it Baltimore, Blake? It was the Vikings, I believe, actually. Vikings who, in Minnesota, uh, yep. yep. They had one pick in front of them. And uh, like, we, like you said, John, that was a guy that I think we'd targeted for the Cardinals. It's maybe the only player who didn't fall to them like they would have wanted. He was, uh, when you're talking mm -hmm. about Baylor, that's in the Big 12 
which would be a guy who played yeah, against Cliff Kingsbury the last few years. So a uh, unique player. He would probably had more pass rush upside than Lawrence. Um, I think Lawrence, as far as what like, you mentioned, the passes defended. Um, when you put him and Zach Allen together, they had 21 passes or 21 balls batted down during their college careers yep. combined. So if you're talking about affecting plays, like, you know, you got a third and three pass batted down that's just as good as a sack. That's just as good as, you know, being able to force an incompletion, essentially. Um, what I think about Lawrence, the biggest downside that there would be to a player like him is when he talked about playing through injury, he did miss a few games with an ankle injury, and as far as his lower body is a bit stiff, it's possible that he may end up having a few more of maybe, I guess you could say, injury risk. Now, obviously, that's a whole new game going into the NFL. Some players, you know, end up coming out like Frank Gore, where you're like, yeah, we're not going to touch this dude. He goes on to still be effective playing today. Other guys like uh, Tyron Matthew come out and they get hurt in their first season and then end up battling injuries throughout the next, uh, I think, was it three or four seasons? Uh, the one thing that I think at least that makes sense also with uh, with a guy like Lawrence is, and like you said, John, the value, he's never going to, or I should say this, he's always going to likely have more sacks as a production and probably even more tackles for loss than a guy like Fotu. And that's just because of the nature of the player and the nature also especially of the position. Um, that's the biggest thing as far as when you're talking about guys who are getting upfield, there's a whole lot of value that's going to be in that. And so that's why having a, um, a kind of an unspoken type of role like the uh, defensive lineman can be just to sometimes say, hey, you're going to have to stand here in the gap, free up this other guy to go and make the play. Uh, in a lot of cases, it can be kind of a thankless job. The one thing that we haven't mentioned as much that has me excited and optimistic is you got Brenson Buckner back as your defensive line coach this year, a guy who was uh, very, very integral in developing a lot of the younger defensive linemen for the Cardinals, a guy the Raiders defensive lineman when they got, I think, a couple of pass rushers last year. Uh, two of them were rookies. One even was a fourth-round rookie, I believe. They all credited Buckner for doing a fantastic job in developing. And if that's the case, and you can get to a point where you're able to find effective defensive linemen later in the draft, be able to you know, make a move potentially for a star and not have to worry if they go down that you're going to be losing production, I think that's going to be one of the biggest parts of the turnaround for Arizona because now all of a sudden if you can talk about being able to slow and stop the run up front, now all of a sudden you're able to force teams into these third and long type of situations, especially in the NFC West division where you're talking about a bruising San Francisco 49ers attack. You're talking about a team like Seattle that runs the football every single year with impunity. And then, of course, you're talking about the St. Louis Rams who uh, went out, drafted a running back in the, I think it was second round this year after spending a third on one last year. Um, the Rams didn't invest as much in their offensive line as I thought that they would have, but you're going to end up going up against any other guy like Trent Williams in the division as well. That was the other big news that happened on day three. The uh, 49ers end up uh, acquiring him via trade from the Washington Redskins. And Joe Staley, the longtime tackle, retires. So these are two defensive tackles who are going to have their work cut out for them moving forward john yeah i mean those were that was a game-changing move by san francisco staley retiring and then they plug in you know multiple time all pro pro bowl tackle and, and trent williams trent williams vetoing a trade to go back to uh his former washington teammate kirk cousins and the minnesota vikings basically saying i'm going to stay retired unless you ship me to san francisco who has shown interest and you know, the rich get richer. Now, what I will say is that, you know, he's going to be 32 next summer. They're going to have to spend big money on him to keep him. We haven't seen him since 2018. The Cardinals just need to take care of their own business. They've they've gotten 
longer. They've gotten more athletic. They've gotten faster. Uh, and again, with these day three picks specifically, Blake, you know, Kimes' track record for the most part, he dominates on day two. That's where he's made his 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 meat and his bread and butter throughout his tenure as GM. That and free, veteran free agents. The first round in day three, he hasn't had as much success as you would like. But we're starting to see a trend over the course of the last two uh, years where he's basically come out and said, like, we're taking the best players on our board. We're not reaching for players, um, even though it may seem like he reached on these defensive linemen, considering what other players may may have been available and the need that they had on the defensive line. He was adamant. We're going to go BPA and then fill out the rest of our needs in free agency. And it's it's what the smart teams do, because like Kime said, you don't know what your needs are going to be two or three years from now. They could be completely different from what you need immediately. And, you know, listen, we're going to talk about these next two picks, but at the end of the day, this roster looks night and day what it looked like this time last year. They're deeper. They have more, obviously, more skilled players, more explosiveness. They're front seven, although still very much a work in progress, Blake. I think we feel much better about being able to trot out you know, the starting 11 defensively and the guys that are going to weave in, uh, in and out. I think there are far more questions about the state of the defense in relation to the defensive coordinator than there are about the talent. I mean, they're, they're as deep as I can remember at linebacker, the defensive line, although it's not the Darnell Dockett, Clayus Campbell days, you've got now a Pro Bowl presence in Josh and Jordan Phillips. You've got two young kids that you drafted. You've got a kid in Zach Allen last year who needs to make an impact. And then you've got a steady veteran in Corey Phillips that you're um, hoping can give you one last go around here in 2020. So if I had to guess on which position unit that could be addressed next year, I still think that they could be in a position to take an impact defensive lineman. But they picked a good year to wait until day three because, again, the, the first round, what we saw, it was just not specifically the top 40 or 50 picks. You were not seeing those impact defenders, those impact DTs. Like, for instance, the, the year Kim Dietschy went, the, the aforementioned Kim, Robert Kim Dietschy, 2016 was considered a great defensive line class. That's the year that the Cardinals opted to pass on Chris Jones for Kim Dietschy. But this was the year of the tackles. This was the year of the wideouts. To a lesser extent, I think, you know, it was a pretty good quarterback year. This was not a great defensive line class. So, again, if you can find a capable starter on day three, um, that's that's a big coup for you if you're Steve Kime. Totally agree. That when you're talking about with what the Cardinals have done with their defense so far, you're essentially you're relying on two of your corners that are coming back and some of the other defensive backs that you've acquired. But you're now talking about up front being able to bring in Jordan Phillips alongside uh, Corey Peters, being able to actually have rotational depth with Lecky Foe 2 and Rashad Lawrence behind them. And on your sides, you're upgrading at linebacker from what Terrell Suggs brought last year with Devon Kennard. You're also looking at Chandler Jones coming off a, what was it, 1920 sack season. And he's going to be in an even better place now with the rest of the defense, being able to rush the passer more. And you even got Isaiah Simmons, who can rush essentially as an edge rusher for the Cardinals off of the side, allowing a guy like Kennard to drop back into coverage. There's a lot, I think, to like here, John. And I think that the Cardinals defense, the expectation is going to be um, with players like these guys, they're going to take a major step forward. That'll be it for our episode today, but sure, uh, we'll be back here tomorrow with a final update. Uh, the last two picks in the draft, there's one that local fans I know were very keen to discuss, and kind of a little bit of our thoughts on this draft overall from the Arizona Cardinals and final grades. That'll be next week here on the Revenge of the Birds, or excuse me, tomorrow I should say, on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I am Blake Murphy 7, and my co-host over there is Johnny Touchdown. Talk to you guys uh, tomorrow, see you on the other side.